following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Our scripture reading is going to be John 8, 1 through 11. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law of Moses commanded us to stone such woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down, and he wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. You got to excuse me. I, I, I'm honestly feeling a little bit emotional right now after seeing my kids. Um, I just want to say God is faithful. <sighs> God is faithful. I'm a, I, I, man, I, I asked you guys to pray for my son um, just last week. Um, he he was born with a dimple on his back, and um, and his last doctor visit, his the, his pediatrician said his head was growing above the curve, and this was um, two signs of spina bifida, so we had to take him to get tested. And, um, and Monday morning, doctor came in and said he he's perfectly fine. He's perfectly fine, so, so, I just, so I just truly want to thank you guys for just being in prayers for me and my family, and after the doctor said his spine and everything looks good, Jay said, oh, what about his head? Is his head okay? Why is his head so big? And the doctor said, look at your husband. <laughs> um, um, so I... I did have to get a special size helmet playing football, um, so I just figured that I'd pass my big head down to little sir. Um, um, but you may have noticed when you open up your Bible and turn to John chapter 8, it begins with some words in parentheses that actually says the earliest manuscripts do not include verses 1 through 11. 
And what that means is that the first copies of this letter that John wrote actually go straight from the end of chapter 7 to, to um, chapter 8, verses 12. And many commentaries and many biblical scholars actually omit these 11 verses as being scripture. So you may be wondering why are we here at Downtown Church preaching these verses, and it's because because throughout church history, the church has found overwhelming evidence that this is, that these 11 verses are indeed scripture. And also, what they give us, the, the insight they give us into the heart of God is just too rich to pass up. So I, I want to just warn us up front, I don't know if this is going to be a, a shouting sermon um, but instead, I want us to reflect and contemplate and maybe even reimagine how we view others and also how we view God. So before praying, I mean, preaching this word, will you just bow for a quick word of prayer with me? Dear God, we have already said you are faithful. As we just sung the song, Lord, you make us clean. You take broken people and make us whole, Lord. You take the unfiscal the unfiscable, the, the unfixable, Lord, and, and you specialize in fixing, Lord. So, Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, that in this moment, Lord, that you speak through me in a powerful way, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we are literally transformed, that you begin to soften our hearts as we think about your bottomless grace. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you just shower us with your grace and your love, and Lord, that whoever needs it, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you bless them with salvation this morning. I pray this and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I like to title this message, What Can Grace Teach Us? What Can Grace Teach Us? And did you know that we are not to be okay with or unaffected by sin? Did you know that we are not to be unaffected by the wrongdoing that we see as we live our lives? Steve Kerr, the coach for Golden State Warriors, after hearing the news of the shooting, gave a passionate speech where he said, we cannot continue to go on and hearing these types of news and just have a moment of silence and then go on living our lives. We are not to be okay with this. I got lunch with one of my high school buddies this past Monday who is now a police officer here in the city, and he began to share with me that he has become immune to seeing lifeless bodies lying on the ground, that he's numb and unaffected by walking into a bloody crime scene. He no longer feels sick or disgusted by what is in his presence. And this process is what psychiatrists call emotional numbing. It's, it's the body's way of defending against shutting down. So this is what allows many officers to tolerate what me and you cannot. Now, did you also know that God did not create us to flourish in sin? But because we live in a world where we have no choice but to endure, we have undergone a similar process of emotional numbing where we have seen so much or experienced so much ourselves that we no longer are even aware of the presence of sin or the destruction of sin that is in our lives. And also, on the other hand, not only are we unaware, but, but we are so aware of certain sins that, that, that we detest this sin and we cannot tolerate it at all. 
Um, for an example, there's a news story of, a, of the police looking for a man who just stole a car. But he stole the car but quickly returned the car. See, a woman pulled up to the grocery store to quickly walk in and buy a, a carton of milk, so she left her car running. So this man walked back, saw a car running, he hopped in the car and began to drive off until he heard a child in the back. The woman left her four-year-old child in the back seat, so he quickly turned around to return the car. But when he returned the car, he got out the car and yelled at the woman for being so foolish and careless for leaving her four-year-old son in the car. See, he, he didn't care nothing about his actions of stealing a car, but he condemned and judged this woman for her actions. And, this, and is this not what the world thinks of Christians? If you like me, you probably heard so many people say, this is why I don't go to church. This is why I can't stand Christians, because they are the most judgmental people in the world. They talk about this God of love who forgives, but all they do is look down and condemn. They see everyone's sins but their own. And I want to argue that we, not just as the church, but we as people are all guilty of being judgmental. And we are judgmental because we don't see how jacked up we ourselves really are. We are judgmental. We look down on others. We condemn others because we don't see that we stink too. And we also don't see how good God's grace actually is. So the main idea from John chapter 8 this morning that I want us to see is that God in his grace is not waiting to condemn you, but he is longing to set you free to live a life of freedom, prosperity, and victory. God is not sitting high waiting to judge you, waiting for you to mess up, but he is actually longing for you to come to him and experience his goodness so you can experience the life that you are longing for yourself. So looking at John chapter 8, there are actually four main characters in this story. Who can tell me who they are? Jesus, y'all don't, y'all sleep on me. Jesus, the woman caught in adultery, the scribes, and the Pharisees. And many people think that this story is about, that, this, that the story primary character is this woman caught in adultery, but I want to argue that the main character are the Pharisees. Because if we recall back in chapter 7, we see the Pharisees are out to counsel Jesus. That Jesus has been doing miracles, he has been teaching, and, that, and now people are starting to believe in him and follow him, and the Pharisees are beginning to lose their power, their influence, and in their position, and they are set and determined on arresting and killing Jesus. But all their traps keep failing. So they go to the scribes who are the expert of the law, and they say, help us get a trap to set Jesus. So he comes, verse chapter 2, I, I mean, verse 2, and it says, Jesus went early to the temple to teach, and a large crowd of people came to hear him teach, and in the middle of Jesus' presentation enters in the scribes and the Pharisees, dragging along with them a woman. And as this woman gets closer, you can see that this woman is actually here against her will. 
as this woman gets closer, you begin to see that this woman is in a state of shock and fear. Her body is shaking, her lip is quivering, her heart is beating out of her chest because these men are bringing this woman here to condemn her and to kill her. And out of nowhere, the Pharisees call out to Jesus, Jesus, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. Now, you know what the Old Testament says. You know what the Bible says. The Old Testament says we are to stone such women. But what do you say, Jesus? The trap has just been set. Because if Jesus says no, don't stone her, they are going to accuse him of not keeping the Old Testament law, so now he's counseled. If he says, yes, stone her, they know that they are Jews, Jewish citizens living in the Roman Empire, and Roman law says, forbids public execution. So if Jesus says, yes, stone her, he then is going to be killed by the Roman government. So Jesus is in a lose-lose situation. So what does he say? He says, the one who is without sin casts the first stone. And this leads me to my first point this morning, which is God's grace doesn't lead us to judge others, but it reveals to us our faults. God's grace doesn't lead us to judge our neighbor, but it makes it's a mirror back pointing towards ourselves. Now, do you see anything wrong with this picture thus far? A group of men brings a woman caught in adultery to stone her, and it is kind of true that the Old Testament says this, but actually Leviticus 20 verse 10 says that if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. But you may be wondering, just like I'm wondering, where is this man? There's no man in sight. So, I don't have a time machine to go back in time to really see what happened, but I think one or two things happened. Either when a couple was caught in adultery, the man turned into Usain Bolt and got up out of there, or, or these men are abusing their power and placing a woman's life at risk all for their own selfish gain. See, we already know that these men are asking Jesus not because they are trying to seek justice, but because they are trying to trap Jesus. And I want us to take a minute to really think about this for a second. Whose sin is actually more despicable? The woman caught in adultery or these group of men? Yes, the woman in adultery has betrayed the trust of her husband and another, another woman's husband. And she has done something that is to not be celebrated, but these group of men are willing to, to destroy human life, manipulate God's word to achieve their own goal. They are not looking to carry out God's mission and purpose, but they're willing, looking to carry out their own. Whose sin is more despicable? I believe that we as Christians, we need to reform how we view quote-unquote sinners. Because we judge the outward heinous act while we tolerate 
the cultural acceptable sins. See, a person caught in adultery needs to be stoned and condemned, but a young man sleeping around in, in today's culture is actually celebrated. A person who is attracted to the same sex is kicked out of the church and doesn't feel welcome, but a couple who is shacking up together isn't mentioned at all. I'm just trying to say we have a double standard of sin that is totally hypocritical. And Jesus shows us that, that sin is not just the outward actions that are seen with the eye, but it's just as deadly when taking place in our hearts and in our minds. How, how often has the church who is supposed to display the heart of God and the grace of God been guilty of acting just like these men? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you grew up in a church that, that, that to be a godly woman meant that you had to be a stay-at-home woman, and now that you have a career, you was, they put so much shame on you, and even today, you still struggle with your identity as a godly woman. We are in the height of the LGBTQ movement, and many people from these um, 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 places have been shunned away and out of the church. And if you speak to them, they are even afraid to come to church because of how these Christians have stoned them. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we aren't to be offended by sin or sinful habits. All I'm saying is that God's grace doesn't lead us to judge and condemn others. But it's for us to look at our hearts. How do I know? Because these men came to Jesus, and they kept hounding Jesus. Jesus, what do you say? What do you say? What do you say? And Jesus been a smooth player like he is. He just smoothly bent down and started writing in the ground. And, and when he stood back up, he, he said, he who is without sin casts the first stone. And as soon as these men heard that, what did they do? They all got quiet, like you are right now. And they began to think about what is in their closet. They began to think about what they don't want people to find out about them. They began to see that they are in the same boat as this woman caught in adultery. And they all walked, by, walked away one by one because they realized what Paul said in Romans chapter 3, we all have sinned and fallen short of God. And I want to argue to us today is that we as Christians, we need to do the same thing. We need to take a look in our own hearts, look in our own, look in the mirror and think about how God is the one who has set us free. He is the one who has cleaned us, healed us, fixed us, not ourselves. So we have no power or ability to look down on anyone else. And the second thing I want us to see this morning is that God's grace teaches us what God is really like. God's grace teaches us what he is really like. Exodus 34 is, is probably one of the most powerful verses that clearly that God himself spoke out of his own mouth telling us what he is like. This is what he says in Exodus 34. The Lord said, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord is a God merciful and gracious. The Lord is slow to anger. The Lord is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The Lord keeps steadfast love for thousand generations. The Lord forgives iniquity and transgressions and sin. This is who the Lord God is. 
I want us to see that God is not in the heavens looking down on you in disgust, shaking your head, shaking his head at you every time you mess up. But he is the Lord who, who is slow to anger. He's full of grace. His mercy is new every morning. His love never ends. He is full of steadfast love. This is who he is, always there to forgive you. And he is there inviting you into relationship with him. And when they asked Jesus the question, Jesus bent down and wrote on the ground with his finger. And for years, many have speculated what did Jesus actually write on the ground. Some says he probably wrote the Ten Commandments. Some wildly guess and says he wrote the names of each person there. I don't believe we should focus on what he wrote, but on the fact that he bent down and wrote with his finger. Because Exodus chapter 34 tells us, that the, tells us who the Lord is, and Exodus chapter 34 also shows us that the Lord God in heaven actually came down from heaven. He descended down from heaven, bent down to the ground, and with the Lord's finger, he wrote the law on the tablet. So when they said, Jesus, what does the law, the law of Moses say is this, what do you say? I think this was Jesus' subtle way of saying, y'all don't know who you're talking to. I'm actually the one who came down the first place and gave you that law. And if you recall, I'm the one who, who said back then that I am slow to anger. I am abounding in steadfast love. I am full of mercy and grace. So while you bringing this woman here trying to get me to condemn her, and you trying to set me up, y'all don't even know who I am. This is who the Lord God is. And I love when Jesus finally spoke to this woman, what he said. He, he gave her, he, he spoke the most life-giving words that anybody can ever hear. When the men walked away and it was just Jesus and this woman, and this woman finally looked up. Jesus said, who, who is here to condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. Jesus says, neither do I. Go, you are free to go. True story, um, a couple years ago, I was driving from St. Louis back to Jonesboro, Arkansas, and my GPS took me all through, through like these back roads, these two-lane roads, and I was stuck behind these 18 wheelers, and I was losing time. So when I finally got back to the mine, to the main highway, you know, I had to, you know, pick, had to catch up on my time. Y'all know what I'm trying to say. I start speeding, I start cutting through traffic, I start cutting people off, I'm gone. And I'm ashamed to say, but I'm going to go ahead and let y'all know, I was driving close to 100 miles per hour. And I was driving, there was no cars in sight, I, was, I had my radio blasting, I was just, you know, it, me and my car dancing, singing, and, all of no, and, and out of nowhere, my good day turned upside down. I saw them flashing lights in the rearview mirror. And I knew I couldn't talk my way out of this. I knew I was caught red-handed, and I knew I was driving close to 100 miles per hour. And the officer gave me a ticket, and he said, you were going 95 and 65. And he said, Missouri state law is that if you are caught driving 20 miles above the um, limit, you can't just pay your ticket online. You have to show up in court. So even though you're from Memphis or wherever you're from, you have to drive back here on, um, and appear in court. And I got home and I looked online how much I was going to have to pay, and it said I was, um, I was guilty of a misdemeanor B, and the minimum, the minimum payment was at least $500. 
And this was a time in my life where I only had $500 to my name, y'all. So this, this was going to bankrupt me. And I, and I pray, I asked my mama to pray for me. I said, God, just show me some mercy, God. I know I'm guilty. And I drove back up to the courthouse. I got there early. I was sitting in the back of the courthouse just anxiously waiting. And I saw the prosecutor walk in. And some told me, hey, just go talk to the prosecutor. And I walked up to him. And I said, hey, man, can you show me some grace? He said, how many tickets do you have? I said, no, he said, how many speeding tickets do you have in your past? I said, none on my record. <laughs> he said, go sit down, man. I sat down. I sat in the very back. The, the judge walked in, and he began to call each case alphabetical order. My last name starts with a T, so I'm towards the end. And he finally called my name, and I the whole time thinking, I'm like, okay, this is my speech. I'm going to say, Your Honor, how you doing? No, don't say that. Good morning, Your Honor. You know, I, I'm trying to get my speech ready. And when I got up there, before I can even say good morning, the prosecutor turned to the judge and said, Your Honor, we're going to throw this out for faulty equipment. And the, and the judge said, Mr. Dorton, you are free to go. And it happened so quick, I didn't know what happened. <laughs> I didn't have time to say good morning. I didn't have time to plead my case. The prosecutor said, Your Honor, we're going to throw it out. And the judge said, you are free to go. And I, and y'all, I just, I, I stood there. Because I didn't know what was going on. And I looked at the prosecutor, and the prosecutor looked at me like, get up out of here. <laughs> and y'all, in that moment when I realized that I came down here prepared to be bankrupt, and I, and I was leaving a free man, I about had a praise break in that court. <laughs> and, and, and because I was guilty of the charges brought up against me, but for some reason, the man with the power to condemn me looked at me and said, you are free to go. And this is who our Lord God is. That the truth is, all of you have, we all have sinned, and we all deserve to stand before God in his courtroom guilty. But the good news is that with Jesus on your side, with Jesus on your side, instead of hearing stone him, you would too, you too will hear, you are free to go. And before I sit down, I'm almost done. I know y'all ready for, for the bottomless pink lemonades and the bottomless mimosas. Um, RT, I thought she was about to say that to the kids. I was going to rebuke you. Um, um, God's grace teaches us what he is like. And lastly, God's grace teaches us how to change. I want us to see that Jesus freed this woman and told her to go. But it's not all he said. He said, go sin no more. And I want to be careful and teach us that God's grace is not a license for us to continue to sin, banking on the fact that he's just going to forgive us time and time again. But now God gave us his grace for us to be changed and transformed and live a transformed life. Now, Jesus told this woman, I do not condemn you. Jesus first said those words in John chapter 3, verse 17, when he said, I did not come into this world to judge you or condemn you because you already stand condemned. I came to save you. 
I came to draw you out of this ocean that you are drowning in. And now, if we see somebody drowning in the pool and you, and you jump in and you throw them out and, and you bring them out and you save them, and they turn right back around and jump back in and begin to drown again, what would we call that person? Insane? I, was, I have another word. I don't know if I can say it from the pulpit, but we would call that person not all the way there. And this is the same thing when we, when God's grace comes into our lives, turns us, away, turns us away from a life of sin, but we continue to say, God, thank you, but I'm going to keep going back and living however I want to live. And I want us to see that Jesus said, go and sin no more. What he is not saying is that you will never sin again, but he is saying, do not continue to live a life of sin. Stop waking up and, and, and living for this, but I have saved you away from this path of destruction so, so that you may now live a life that leads to true flourishing and prosperity. And Titus 2 says that the grace of God appears bringing salvation, and it's this same grace that actually trains us to renounce ungodliness. It trains us to say no to sin. It trains us to say yes to God. So you might be wondering, how does this grace do that? Because when we realize just how good and loving and kind and gracious and merciful God is, his grace begins to change our heart. It begins to change our desires that I once wanted to live for this, but this don't taste good no more because God's love is better. Um, when I was a teenager, I went through a phase where I was just angry. I was this, I turned into a disrespectful, rebellious teenager. And I, I look back on that time in my life, and I can say now, I was just angry. And I took it out on my mom. And I remember we went through a season where it was like we argued every day. We, it was some type of fight every day. I had no type of love, compassion towards her, no type of respect, no type of obedience. I just had a hard heart towards my mom. And I, I remember one day, I guess my mom reached her breaking point, and she just broke down. She began to cry to me, and she said, son, why are you treating me like this? Do you not realize I'm all that you have? Do you not realize that I'm doing everything to take care of you and provide for you? I'm doing my best. Why are you treating me like this? Do you not see how much I love you and everything I'm giving up for you? Like, why are you treating me like this? And I, I don't think I spoke back. As she was talking, my heart began to soften. And I don't think I said any words to my mom after that conversation, but I do remember leaving that combo saying, I no longer want to be the same boy who disrespects his mom. But I, because of the grace and the love that she poured out on me, it actually changed my heart, and it gave me a new desire to honor and respect and actually please my mom. And this is what grace does. It's by God's grace that we are changed. It's by, it's by witnessing his love, that his everlasting love, that I'm able to say, God, okay, I keep messing up. I keep doing this, but God, you are better, and I want to live for you. 
Yes, yes, temptation is still knocking on my door. Yes, yes, them, yes, them old folks still calling me, telling me to go back here. But God, I, I believe your grace is better, and I'm choosing to live for you. And I promise you I'm done, but before I sit down, I can't sit down without telling you that you are not the sum of your decisions. You are, your identity is not your mistakes, your failures, or your sin. The truth is, some of you have made some terrible mistakes in your life. We all have probably done some things in our life that we think about from time to time, and we think, I wish I could just take that back. Some of you have maybe even prayed to God, God, why did you make me like this? Why did you make this my struggle? Maybe some of you just feel you are tired of feeling guilty and weighed down and disgraced because of your sin. But I want you to know before I sit down that you are not your sin. How do I know this? The author of John, even though we don't know this woman's name, he he never calls her an adulteress. Jesus never calls this woman an adulteress, you adulteress. But what Jesus does say to her, he says, you are actually free to go. I do not condemn you. And this is the reality that when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there is no longer any condemnation for you, and you are now a son, a daughter of God. And this is the good news this morning that if you have failed, you are not a failure. If you have screwed up, you are not a screw-up. If people have called you and labeled you unfixable, as I said, he specializes in the unfixable. This is the good news that even though you may feel like God hates you, God does not hate you, so don't hate yourself. You may feel like, you may feel this burden, uh, a condemnation, but Jesus has already said, I no longer condemn you, so why would you condemn yourself? This is the good news that in Jesus we can literally walk in freedom prosperity, and walk in victory. So let's all, like the kids, enjoy God's bottomless grace. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy that is new every morning. We thank you that we cannot explain the love you have for us messed up people. But Lord, as parents, as we continue to tell our kids to stop touching that, to get back, to stop doing that. And they continue to disobey us, but we continue to love them, Lord. How much more do you love us? So, Lord, I just truly pray that by the power of your spirit, that those here who are just feeling shame, those who may feel unlovable, those who may feel like this woman, may you set them free just like you set that woman free, Jesus through hearing of your love. I pray this and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive the Lord's blessing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Go in peace.